Have a seat, everybody. Welcome. It's great to be here today, the day the storm strikes. <laughs> All right. If you see me walking off, handing the mic over, that's because I can't speak anymore. Um, had a little bit of a struggle last night, but I'm here. Because one of my points was turn up. Okay, I better do that. So um, thank you for for bearing up with me. So I got a word for you today, and I wanna I wanted to be here to bring this. Um, I think it's a good one. It's gonna show you how to read the signs of the times, so you'll know what to do with your life this year, what you will do with your family this year. Because there are going to be some things that will show you that unless you have this type of insight, say insight, insight. All right, it could get you into a lot of trouble because there's going to be a lot of fear, a lot of uh, extra, uh, what I call stressful, uh, very damaging uh, outside circumstances and situations that you won't have control over, but God has control over. So God is always in control. So I don't want you and my family to not know what to do. One thing about the people of God, if you're really in touch, is that you should know what's happening. God wants to share that with those. And you know, the scripture says that he, does he not share with the prophets and lets them know what he will do next, he so he will. But you have the Holy Spirit. So today I want to go to a, a, a famous segment. It's the one that, because of Acts chapter 15, and maybe it'll come up behind me as Saluri puts it up, um, she'll bring it up. Father, bless this day, I pray, and your word in Jesus' name, amen. Is that listenable with my voice? Is that right? Okay, if you could put up with it, I'll stay. Otherwise, I'll hand it to uh, any, many, mighty Kane. Okay, <laughs> so you so you better listen to the intro, Kane, and you can finish it. <laughs> if you don't hand it to today, today doesn't hand it to Talar. If Talar doesn't, you guys are sacked. <laughs> no, that's naughty. All right, okay, that great guys. Give the, give the elders a hand, okay? So. Yeah. <laughs> That should help if I offended you. All right. <laughs> I don't offend anybody. Who have I offended? <laughs> and you get offended because you want to. All righty. Here we go. We'll, we'll go to this uh, 15. It says here, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I'll return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and I will build its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, that's the non-Christians, who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all of these <clears throat> things. So here's an Old Testament prophecy of the dynasty of David. And some of the things that have come out of his time and his era particularly with his battles, his uh, ongoing war <clears throat> with the enemy, 
until he actually sets up the kingdom. Very, very unusual um, part of history that I think is most significant when you're talking about kingdom. So he's, he's one particular Old Testament personality that actually succeeded in setting up the ideal kingdom. And here's one of the major reasons why. And I'll, I'll give you the second one, but the first point is what I'm going to touch on with you today. The second point is he was successful in bringing both political and religious uh, spheres together. He was able to bring the two together and unite them successfully under his anointed leadership. Well, can I have one clap for that one? Just, that'll be thank you. <laughs> that's just to let me know you're there. <laughs> so, and, and that's a feat. That's a feat to behold because normally, and particularly in our day, there's always been a, a separation, this idea that you can't have the both of them together. I've been trying to teach you and many others that politics is just a word. If you looked at it, at who is making the rules and the laws and how our families would live and how our livelihoods would go, that might help you a bit, that you don't have nothing to do with it. Of course you do. And we should be interested in it. That's why we are where we are today because most of the people of this country allowed it to be left to people we trusted. Okay, it didn't work out. So David was able to be the personification of both of them coming together in a very harmonious way, and he was able to rule successfully those two particular uh, spheres of, of difference. He united them. That's cool. But there's something else that God was showing me. It's very simple. And I want to talk to you today about it because if that scripture is right, well, it is true, in Acts chapter 15, it is actually saying that God wants to bring some of the functionality from David's day and he wants to make it functional today. Most of destiny people know this. So it should be easy for you to, to be able to access some things and understand what's happening. So there will be some of the... <clears throat> the technology, I call it, um, or the ministry of what David did in his day will be transferred into our day, okay? Now, I want to I say, you need to know how to read the times, to read what's going on. And so one of the things I'll do is I'll just talk this to you, and then you can, um, you can put two and two together. How's that? So I want to go to... Uh, 1 Samuel 16, and up the, on the screen it'll come for you, or you can read along with me. But this is where um, we see, and we know the scripture well, as well, but I want to pull some things out today for you. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesli, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king amongst his sons. Now, if we fast forward that, because <clears throat> you know this well, I won't read it all, 
But it was when they came and looked at Eliab. So they started to come. But before this, just, just hold on a moment. I'll give you this so that I don't have to read so much and I can just talk to you. So you know that something happened. There was a major national catastrophe. This is important for you to hear. So what precipitates and intervenes into a national crisis, right? There was a national crisis. This is what brings God in stronger. God was always there. He's never, if you think he's not there, I would like to help you change your mind about that. He's there. He never leaves you nor forsake you. But the level of his, I put it like his involvement, uh, maybe you can call it his interference or interjection, is, is, is varied. Sometimes God will come through strong, does the whole thing for you while you watch it. You know what I mean? It's called a miracle, and most believers want to go straight to that. They want nothing to do with it. You just do it, God, thank you, and we're all good. High-five him away. Okay, that's, that's the easy one, and I guess I'm like you sometimes. That would be cool right now. Just give me a miracle. And um, I've got faith, you just do it. Then it goes right out to the other end where you almost have to do something. And you, you're not sure if it's God or not, the direction you're taking or the action you're doing or what you're saying. But nevertheless, that's why he's given you faith. And faith doesn't need any evidence. Faith doesn't necessarily mean that you're hearing God all the time whether it's audible voice or some other way, faith is just you moving without the evidence that there's any sign that what you're doing is kind of right. And there is nothing about it that actually says that it should possibly work. That's faith. Now, you know as well as I do, we've been told to live by faith. So we're to actually live more by faith than actually asking God to tell you what to do next. That's a big word, right? So the Bible in the New Testament doesn't say for you to be seeking Him all the time, praying or worshipping to find out what God wants to say to you. By the way, I wish I could go down that track about worship and prayer, but I won't. But the Bible says faith. Without faith... Not worship, not prayer. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I can safely say most of my life, I've had to walk at this end of the scale. Faith. Actually not knowing, but doing it anyway. What if it didn't work? It didn't work. What if it was wrong? It was wrong. Sorry, I apologize that I got you involved and we both ended up here. But I will be trying again. I will not give up. Just because Peter walked on the water, it didn't mean to say he wasn't going to sink. <laughs> that's, that's weird, that one. Because <clears throat> he did walk on the water, but 11 others were uh, stuck in the boat. And they never had the adventure of feeling, even for a moment, that I'm on the right track getting out of the boat of comfort and safety and staying here having nothing happen but nothing will happen obviously positively for you I'd rather get out and have a go and sink 
And Jesus is always there to catch you when you sunk to pull you up again. That's good. Come on, I clap for that. So, so living by faith is the chosen direction. I want to really put that to you today so that we, you don't get hooked up on just seeking God. Often it's just God's going to be not saying much to you because he knows that you must learn to walk by faith. That's good. All right, I can move on. Okay. So here you have a, an instance where God is now going to intervene or push himself more into human affairs. It doesn't come while stuff is really going down wrong. So before he says sixteen one, and he comes to his prophet, he actually now speaks. He's not waiting for them to figure it out. He speaks to Samuel, the, uh, the trusted prophet, to bring a word to the people. Stuff's going to change. So I'm going to give you a preview. Could you please read it and know it so you know what to do for the next following time? Good? So what happens? He lets, he lets bad get worse. That's a good word. He lets bad get worse. In other words, Saul's... He was good. He went in there with every intention of leading the people, leading this nation, and doing right by their families so they'd prosper, they'd be safe, and they'd be healthy. Underpinning all of that, all that was needed for their economy, for them to do well, to have well, was for them to honor God. So that was the values that God wanted every leader to abide by. You should have some good values and morals so that you know what to do when faced with challenges and all sorts of situations with the people. Because people will follow a leader. Then they'll follow the sounds or the voices of those who will spread news. Right? Comes from prophets, foretellers. In our day, they're equivalent when they're gone wrong to mainstream media. It's true, because they, they're feeding prophecy, information, they're foretelling, they're uh, telling, you fill the gaps. I want you to think with me, right? So they're not always telling the truth. So <clears throat> what you've got here is something moving toward crisis. Oh. It's, it's only good preaching this because you know you've been in it, right? But I'm going to give you something you haven't been in yet, soon, right? So there's a crisis. Now, when Saul got to the point that he disregarded and removed everything away from God, so he increasingly started to shift God further and further away in national fears. I'm saying something, man. So the more, the more that Saul pushed godly principles outside of his governing, the more God came closer to the situation. But he, it must, bad must get worse because the bad must get worse because the real problem was in the people. And if God was to interject himself early on, the people would did what they did before. Because God never wanted Saul to be the leader. You've got to under, understand, Saul was the people's choice. 
But God was getting ready to come and tell them, I'm going to let you know my choice. Right? This is good. But they would not. So earlier on, when Samuel was disappointed and he was, he was exasperated that he was trying to tell the people, we can have the best theodemocracy that the world could see. If you just believe me, you have all the freedoms, all the rights of what you want to do, but just let God be our prime minister. But people said, no, we want to be like all the other nations, they said. Give us a king too. Give us a person who is a prime minister. Let him deal with the moral side and the God thing, and we'll just get on with life. Samuel bawled his eyes out and cried because he said, when he came back to God, he said, well, this is the case, this is the situation. And he said, why are you crying? Why are you upset? He said, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me, God. So don't take it personally if you are a person who believes that God should have more and his principles, his word, should have more to do with running our nation. You get upset because we think that he's fighting, the people are fighting the church. They're fighting Christians. They're fighting me. They're fighting you. But really, they're trying to fight God. You're fighting me. You're fighting Christ. All that we stand for and try to live for is Christ. So you fight me, you're fighting Jesus. That's a losing battle, my friend. It's no point in trying to fight the church, fight the Bible, fight Christianity, because you will lose in the end. You're fighting God. That's a good point. So I never take the battle personally. Because when they say, oh, Brian, tell me this, Brian, tell me that, that's only because I'm probably doing a little bit more on that side than others, and they want to fight that. You know, fight me if I was an all black or a successful businessman or a person successful family, one of those things, they'd love you. They'd love you, but they don't want the God in you. And they don't trust you because you have good things together, you have good family life. You've got a good history, but we don't like the Christ thing in you. Because we think that you're going to pull the Christ card out when it comes down to it, and you're going to make us all worship God. <laughs> I can't make you do anything, and I don't want to make you do anything. That's a choice thing. But if you see here now <clears throat> that what, what God does in verse 1, he says, here I come. A national, a national crisis has brought God into the whole situation of that country. <clears throat> so when you look at it, he reveals to them, he says, I, I, have, I have rejected now this leadership of this nation. This this political leader and the leadership of this people now has gone too far. <clears throat> he says, I've rejected him now and I have, I'll get your horn oil, or get your horn full of oil, get ready, go. So what he's saying, I have already chosen the next person. 
So God has already preset the situation. So this is what I call the message. The stage has already been set up. Long before, while bad was getting worse, and we were all wondering what's going on, or even asking God, could you come in? And he hasn't. It's because he's setting up the main stage. <clears throat> These two stages. I'll just see if I can make it. The main stage, he was setting, he's setting the stage up. The stage is not a, like a stage of life or a stage of... He was setting up the actual stage where actors or occasions or performance or big events that take place where all the lights are on and the sound, whatever, like Ed Sheeran last night. He's on the main stage. So all the crowd are in there, but everybody knows it's Ed Sheeran and they knows exactly what's going on down there because he's on the stage. So whatever is on the stage has the focus of the many. So what's been hidden for a long time, God is about to reveal on the main stage. <laughs> I can't get too excited. This my voice. So he says, I have already provided for myself. When we no longer can do the job, right, and our, our selection processes are absolutely shocking, that when you leave man to do it, he always chooses the wrong people. In fact, our selection processes uh, have got us into more trouble than I can actually have time to tell you about, believe me. The, the selection processes, actually selecting people to govern our country has done more damage to your personal life, to your mother and father's personal life, to your grandmother and grandfather's personal life. I can keep going back. Their life has been damaged more financially, emotionally, mentally, and every other way you can imagine by wrong choices that we, the people, have made about who are going to make certain laws and other types of legislations, legislations for us. That's where a lot of trouble has come. Wrong selections. So there's a big point here that God is talking about that when you select somebody. So let's just take a moment to think about this because <clears throat> he says, that's man's choice. I wanted you to see. That's why I let bad get worse. If I didn't let bad get worse, you would not see. Even in your best days, Without having bad, you would have been ignorant. You'd have been, you would have been bliss in your ignorance. And no matter how much praying and how much the church was doing good and prospering, you'd have been still ignorant of this because while you were like that, this behind the scenes was going on for decades. They were already uh, selecting under the spirit of Saul. Saul's selection is a spirit. It's always a wrong spirit and it chooses the wrong people. So man's choice, now God says he's my choice. Now when he goes to verse 1, you see that he, he names the actual town. So he says he's in uh, Rotorua or Hamilton or Bethlehem. He's a Bethlehemite. He even names the family's name. But in those days, families were a bit more together than ours. It's like hapu. So they had 
It was Jesse from the, the, the Bethlehemite. The house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Go to his house. So you, it was still hard to put your finger on who's the individual though. So he, he only, you notice, he goes far as saying, I've, I've chosen somebody. Here's, here's the actual town, the location. Here's the actual family. But I'm not telling you who the person is. I thought, boy, that's good. I'll work on this, baby. And as I started to work on this, I said, ah, I know why. Because you want to make sure that this is going to be staged. While the person he was choosing right up to that point was totally unknown. In fact, you know, he was a farmhand. <laughs> clap for that. He was a, he was a farmhand. He was a simpleton by intellectual things and people looking at it he was just a shepherd boy so he's a farmhand a farmhand in the back parts and he was looking after animals so a boy a boy so he's not even counted as having having maturity or experience he's in a lowly job in a lowly place and he's not considered actually anywhere near being fit for parliament. He's not fit for politics. He could not definitely even be anywhere near rulership. In fact, so much so that the father of the family that was named in this huge event that the prophet said, that God said, now that's a big occasion. Somebody say big occasion. That's no 65th birthday. Forget that. that that's, that's the occasion. That's an event of a lifetime. That'll be like your most favorite singer, your most favorite band, your most favorite person, your most favorite destination. Forget it or wipe it out because when God wants to come to your house and your house has actually been selected by God himself for somebody in that family who's going to have a significant role. That's huge. I mean, you'd be rushing around, ladies, and vacuuming, cleaning, and getting all the stuff shined up and dust off and mow the lawns, you know, paint job even in the house, cleaning everything, making it sparkling, and doing what you can to make sure that everything's right because this is the event of events. This is the occasion of occasions. That's why God wanted it. So him withholding that last bit of information meant that everybody was curious. So when Samuel comes to the town, all of the people come out. And so I'll give you what God's doing. Nobody reads this and talks about it much, but it's when he comes in that people got frightened because they knew if the man of God came and whatever he said came to pass. Wow, imagine we've had a people like that today that whatever the man of God said comes to pass and they all trembled and said, please don't speak anything untoward to our city or our town. And Samuel um, allayed their fears and said, look, I'm here peaceably. I'm here to sacrifice to God. So I'm going to Jesse's house. And this is what he says to all the elders and the people. He says, I want you to come too. So here's the stage. What God's going to do is not going to be hidden behind a door. What, what, what was not chosen by man has already not only been hidden away, he's been despised. 
He's been shuffled back in the line because of his status, because he is counted as even being nobody. He doesn't qualify. He hasn't been educated properly. He hasn't got the, the intellect or the academic prowess to be even in a position of being in a political role, let alone be the prime minister. That cannot be. So much so that the father didn't even bother to get David to come to the biggest event that would ever happen in his house. I mean, think about it. Even if you didn't want David there, because he's not in the running, okay? Because his other seven brothers, it's one of them, definitely one of them. They're, they're outstanding citizens. They've known. One's a rugby star. One's been involved in decision-making. One, two of them in the army, in the defence force, with medals all over them. don't know why, but they <laughs> got them. You know, so you've got all these people that are standout figures. So dad and mum, and definitely the brothers, knew that David doesn't even get a look in. But at least let him sneak in behind the scenes and let him come for the feed. I mean, it's going to be a big feed. This is a big occasion. They're killing some big beef for the sacrifice. Those big steaks are cooked on the fire. They're fat. They got the best of the food. So there's a big marquee at the back because all the town, somehow the stage is set and it's a big occasion for one of those brothers. So we're looking forward to seeing what everybody's predicting. It's one of them. It's the ones we know. It's obviously the ones that are bright. It's the ones that have got some significant status. It's the ones that have got some skill and some expertise and some qualifications behind them. So they're all getting dressed up knowing that it's going to be one of them, not the farmhand, right? How do you feel at the moment? How do you feel? Where do you think you fit in this? Oh, I know that you say, oh, well, I'm, I'm that person. Really? Think about it. You might be saying, well, hey, hold on, I don't, I'm not a farmhand. Well, don't diss the farmhand. The farmers are important. And whether you're driving a truck, uh, you're on a construction site, you're in IT industry, you're a business owner, you're a cleaner, mechanic, you can name what you want. Actually, the vocation does not matter to God. Neither does status. Neither does it matter to God that actually nobody likes you. That everybody that knows you is agreeable on the fact that you should stay, even on the day, not even to just hang around the outskirts, under the tree at the back, like most, and grab the free hangi. At least have the trifle and the pavlova with all the cream and peas and mint sauce and fresh lamb. Ooh, I saw the big beef get killed at the sacrifice. Ooh, the fat and the, it's tender as. I mean, you wouldn't be that cruel, would you? Would you be that cruel to leave, you know, the, the outsider? He's not going to make it. He's not even going to get in 
in, and eat outside? Surely. No, they don't. This is how cold and cruel people are to you when they think that you're a nobody. When people think that you don't add up. People watching me now, that you could easily just wipe somebody out and say, nah, and you don't know them. All you do is looking at them. Or because they don't have the right job. Uh, they don't have the right letters behind them. This is good for you and it's good for them. First of all, David never took it upon himself to actually get bitter. I looked at that and I thought, did he know that the actual great big party was going on? Surely he might have seen all of the tents put up, marquees, the smell of food. I don't know. He may have known that there was a coronation going on and one of his brothers would be chosen to be the next king, the next prime minister, the next president. He probably thought himself, oh well, I've been happily out here looking after my father's sheep. And while I've been working without eyesight, I never touched any of my father's property. I never took a couple of sheep for some meat while he wasn't looking because after all, you could justify the factors that while the boss's eyes is not on me, I could just help myself to a couple of things. They won't miss them. He's rich. He's got heaps of sheep, heaps of land. It won't hurt for me to take a little bit home in the boot. Or... You know, when a bear comes, that's risky stuff when a bear comes. Bear's a big thing. He's got big claws. He's coming to take a sheep. I'll just move the rest out. And whatever he grabs, let him take it. Tell dad just fell down the, in the creek or, or even got carried away and the bear was too big. You just leave it. What did David do? He fought for somebody else's business like it was his own. How many workers out there... Uh, how many workers out here that actually work over and above for somebody who's not only not just treating you good, so if he treats you good, then you work back good for him? If he's not paying the wages, so you start doing stuff, taking stuff? Well, this guy was mis or ill-treating David, and yet he not only worked integrally for a man that was ill-treating him, but when no eye was upon him, he acted with great character and he protected the business. He looked after what belonged to somebody else even when they weren't treating him right. That's something that's really important to, to God is how are you when your friends are not watching you, when your wife can't see you, husband can't see the wife, when your friends can't see you, when the boss is not around, and that you are working just as hard, are you devising 
some type of plan where you're going to leave them high and dry without telling them because you're dissatisfied. I remember early being in the church as a young Christian, and that church wasn't altogether healthy. It wasn't probably running right. And I heard lots of people chatter who were praising and jumping around and worshipping in that church tell me at lunchtime and Hannah and I, we, we, we should be leaving this church. I'm kind of like, whoa, why? And they'd say, because this is wrong in the church and worship's not up to it. And the pastor preacher or the elder, and I say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're committed here. And so I don't want to hear about that. And that's what I was. And so these people would start to talk with others. Then I'd have others talk to us about the opportunities because you and Hannah got a lot of life. Maybe you should go and do this, this, and that, and do, 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 do. And I said, no, I'm committed to this leadership team. And then another person would talk about some of the inner happenings behind the scenes and the issues they're facing. And they were saying this, and I said, what about your issues? And they said, yeah, but they lead well. You know what? You go and do that then. Go and lead with your issues and now have the extra responsibility of trying to look after the church and people and deal with your issues. So they were willing to criticise people who are trying to shoulder that the best they can, and they weren't perfect, and I knew there were problems, but I knew honourably I'm staying here until God clearly tells me that I should be doing it. And when I do move, I will confide in these dysfunctional elders and pastor whether it's okay to take the next step in ministry. Now, I was in that for 13 years. People leave churches because the pastor, they thought, looked wrong at them. Heck, he might have had a bad day. Flat tie or something. Yeah, yeah. Or he doesn't talk to us or visit me. Well, I'm, I'm texting him all the time. He doesn't answer me. Um, you can see by that that how people could so easily, they can easily put themselves in a position where they're judging so harshly because they feel they're entitled in some way to make some criticism about something without doing something themselves. This is a very noble characteristic of David. I, I think everything else has talked about his, you know, his obvious faith and all that, but it started way back in the background where God knew he was. God didn't just choose him because he was down and out and forgotten and he was abused. No, God didn't choose him for that. There are plenty of people getting abused. But it was David's temperament, his attitude while stuff was not right. God doesn't watch you when you're in comfort. He watches you when you're in pain. Because that's the only time the real you begins to surface. And when nobody else is watching, Facebook and social media do not help Christians grow steady, sound and strong. Because they, they want to bleed online to get other people that are the same. And it's now a real circus where they can get a lot of comfort and people toe talking to them. And they don't even know, but behind the scenes, you're doing bad for that person. If you can't face it alone, 
you're not facing yourself. You're facing it with everybody else. This is good. So if you don't face it alone, that means you're not facing it at all. And sometimes God doesn't want you. So David, for the height he was going to go, he needed to be that low where he is. He needed to be in a tough place. Taking the brothers was no good because the brothers had issues that they would never, they refused to recognize. But more than that, they didn't develop what every person has, the ability to see, have insight, that to prepare myself for the stage of my life, I've got to make sure that I've been hidden away in the background with dirty sheep figuring me out. You can't really find the essence of you sitting in church, going to work, at home. You've got to be in a place of where injustice is happening to you, where you feel you can't go any further because you feel, and it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong, but you're under pain, you're stressed, you're, you're, you just want to give up, and, and it's all like crowded in on you. That's not God punishing you. As I said before, that's God polishing you. See, what he has... What he has for you, because it's only for those who have been in a situation where you are left alone, left out. People don't even notice you. They don't care about you. That's why you head to Facebook. Try try to refute the desire to press the button to put up about how you're feeling. I know that's not it. And and don't you don't even need to put it to a pastor. You can go to an elder and put it there for prayer. But it's best if you didn't. David learned to actually go to God. I'm not God. And neither are the elders, neither are your man-up leaders or your legacy leaders. We're all there to assist you and to help you. But at the end of the day, we are not God. And Jesus says, yeah, he says, cast all your burdens upon him, for he cares for you. So even if the elder's not caring or, you know, apostle's not caring, but Jesus cares for you. And if, if you understand that, but you get a bee in your bonnet, because I'm not caring for you. <laughs> That's quite funny. Um, I don't even compare with Jesus. So blow me but he cares for you. Isn't that what matters? Not what I am not doing or, sh- or, or doing. It's what Jesus can do for you. And that's important because then you start sorting you and you start having a sanctified time of sanitation and cleaning and, you know, facing the mirror and saying, man, I need to be, I don't want to be blaming anybody and I want to stand on my own two feet. Then you start now getting out of what I call basically the stationary situation of dealing. Now you're healing. Now then you get to dealing. And another way, dealing to the enemy. So David found that when he had a bear, he killed the bear. When he 
killed the bear, he was promoted to the lion. And when he killed the lion, he was promoted to Goliath. When he killed Goliath, he had to deal with a jealous king. The worst of all of four of them was the jealous king. So let's go back a bit, eh? Is that okay? So let's, let's go back and look at this now. So God has already set the stage up for you. I don't think we quite know what this means. There are actually two stages. The first stage is inside. The other stage is on the outside. The first stage that God said, and this is why I know this, because when Samuel went to Bethlehem, he got the whole town involved that someone was going to be anointed. So it wasn't hidden away in the house. It was open and all the people came. They didn't know. They probably wouldn't have came if God had said David's name. Now you know why, in the first verse I read to you, he went right down to naming the place, family, but he wouldn't give the person. Because if he gave your name, people wouldn't come. <laughs> Sorry about it. They wouldn't have chosen him. He was the last person that even the town would have chosen, so they wouldn't have come. But God wanted them all to come on false pretenses, on their false pretenses, and their way of doing it. They Sometimes they're doing such a bad job that they can't actually see it themselves. So they've actually got to see a good job and know when it comes. And so they, after that, they'll know what was wrong. So he got them there and did not name David until the time came is that they're all gathered around full of steak and all sorts of mashed potatoes and peas and mint sauce, okay, <laughs> and some fried bread and butter and golden syrup. So now they were all full, right? And they attended. And so Samuel gets up, does his button up on his cloak. This is the time. And he reckons he's right on because everybody knows he's as accurate as the church is never wrong. So the church steps up and says, bang, that's him right there. Eliab, he's qualified. He's the man. He's also well decorated in the defense force. He's in the army. And he's, he's as good to go. So he unplugged, got the oil, is ready to slam dunk old Eliab there. And God. God grabs him around the throat, invisible. <laughs> he does this. And it's like Samuel goes, what the heck? And he grabs his arm and he whispers in his ear. He said, mate, you've been making a lot of mistakes lately. <laughs> you made a couple of mistakes here just recently. And this is like talking to the church. It wasn't just about people outside. This is the church. The church was about to anoint the wrong person too. So not only are we anointing the wrong people in politics, we're anointing the wrong people in churches. They now want to anoint people that don't know what gender they are. <laughs> we won't go down that road. <clears throat> it's happening now all over the world. Man, I could take some examples of recent, but we won't go there. That's not my point. Here's, here's what's happening. He's ready to anoint this person. Now, this is the first stage. 
Everybody. This is what God does. No, no, no. I want to make sure that they're all here to see. They're going to see this. So there's a time when they're going to see it. They're going to see you. They're going to see it. So you're standing there, and David was anointed. Finally, he was brought in from around the back. After he, And this is the thing about this. In this one passage, there was four times that God had to refute wrong selection. Four times. Can you imagine that? Add them up. Usually once is like, can I? No. <laughs> this is the one he said. That's wrong. That's why I said Samuel was making a few mistakes. That's not the one. Now you think you turn around and say, could you please tell me who? He doesn't. He lets him go again. He goes, oh, this is the one. And he says, wrong again. I refuse them. Okay. Well, he's just going to go by osmosis now. Just go through the whole lot. It's this one. He says, no, it's wrong. It's this one. He says, no, it's wrong. You're wrong. All your selections are wrong. Could you imagine that we're dealing more with wrong selection or wrong decisions and sections than right ones? So when he has the one right one, it is really right. But you mostly have poor selections. So that's what I've said before. I've talked about that. Now, just moving quickly, this is, this is interesting. Now he's going to bring him to the stage, the biggest stage of all. I'll just go to this quick and leave you with that. This stage here is inside. It's amongst his peers. It's his family. It's people around that now recognize this, this whole factor and this truth. It's not just about being called. It's about being chosen. Let me, let me talk to you for a minute about this. Is that right? Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. A lot of Christians are acting more like they're called, but not chosen. You can talk chosen, but you remain called. To be chosen, you have to first of all be called to be chosen. But you don't necessarily have to be chosen to be called. So many are called. So um, I heard it even this morning, and it was good because it's right. We're the called, and you've been called by God, definitely. But unless you know you're chosen, it's, you won't find your way to the stage. And you have to deal with that yourself. Because you might say, I don't want to get to the stage. Okay, that's fine. This 12 months, you're going to have to figure out how you can negotiate, negotiate yourself through all of the problems. But the stage is set so that the inside one was about dealing with your chosenness. I'm called by God is great. You do your call. And even if you do that, respect. And it's great because a lot of them don't even fulfill their call. They become a Christian and then they just live a cool brother life. Just get to heaven. Don't actually do much. But to feel called to something is, is vital. And in fact, it's imperative before you understand chosen. Because he chooses you. But you've got to know that you're chosen. And being chosen is not saying, I'm chosen because... He's chosen you, and you think you're chosen, and so you just say chosen because you think extra special is going to come on it. 
Well, tell me what's happened since you've been saying that for the last few years. Many are called, but few are chosen. Can I tell you about it a bit? Okay, let's get to this. Christ chose you, but you have to know you're chosen. So you have to choose you too. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Christ has chosen you, but can you choose you? So being called is good because you know it's come from the outside, but being chosen has got something different to it. That's right, because you know what chosen means? Chosen means you've been selected out from amongst others around you. doesn't matter who or where, but you've been chosen specifically for a specified role so that you know that that chosen will get you, end, you'll end up on the stage. Believe me, you'll want to be on the stage. Stage fright is all about no, not knowing that you're chosen. So chosen means I have now committed my life deeper from my calling, knowing that it's going to put me in more uh, open and more, uh, I guess, engaging places with things, with people, with situations. So you're actually saying, I am chosen, <clears throat> therefore my, I am completely and wholly sanctified or I'm, I'm given over to what I've chosen for. Most of the church is not chosen. They are, but they're not, they haven't chosen themselves. So you've got to get to a point where I got to a point where I knew I was chosen very early in the piece, meaning I stopped working for uh, working in jobs. I wanted to work for God. That was a different thing about that because I earned a living. I had to have income. So that's not about putting aside that and saying, I'm going full-time now. You're, you're not chosen if you're unemployed. Go and work. God called everybody that was working. Never calls you while you're sitting on the benefit. On the couch, okay? You'll find all the ones that were called were working away, right? Because God never went to an unemployed person and says, come, I've chosen you. No, he said, go and find a job so I can then choose you, okay? It is good, that's right. It all, look at all of them. They were working away and tap, tap, tap. So while you're not working or lazy, you'll never get that shoulder tap. So you go and work hard, and that's when he catches you, working in the field. David was out there with the sheep. He was doing it. So, so you know now that being chosen is that? Do you understand what we're saying? So you're calling, but to be chosen means you don't rely on other people. Because the stage is set up for you. You're the Ed Sheeran. Right? You're the main man, you're the woman, you're going you're gonna to sing, you're going to speak, you're going to do, you're going to be there for whatever the occasion is, you're up there, out front and centre. You're, you're there and there'll be people gathered around because God's brought them there because you're not doing this alone. You're not doing this sneaky. You're not doing it privately. That's what a lot of Christians do. I am humble, humble Jane. And I just work in the background. 
I understand that. Trouble is, if Jesus did that, none of us would know or see. He was very public. He did some things to just so you could see it. He said some things so you'd hear it. He was not going to let David remain hidden. It was enough. He proved his humility. He worked away. He killed the bear. He killed the lion. He had all the values, the principles, and he only had God to trust because everybody else pushed him away. So your solitude is time to grow your strength of your relationship. So then when he comes out private, it's all just big. So he makes it in the room. They see it all. They know it. He's chosen, right? So somewhere publicly, he, he or she stands up. They've done something, and people have seen it. They've seen you do it. You did something. God wanted them to all see it. He got them to be there, right? This was not going unseen. He got them, them and when he got David anointed, they all saw it, and he said, that's the one, and anointed him in front of his whole family, in front of all the town. All the town knew that was the man. Don't mistake, it doesn't mean to say they accepted him. In fact, they didn't. After that, he was on the run for a while. He wasn't king for another few years. Okay, now the other stage that God set up was the big one outside. This was humongous. This was a national stage. It was international. It would go global. It will be the story forever and a day about the underdog versus the top dog. It was the story that would be used over hundreds and thousands of years, how a young man stood up, how a man faced the giant. And for all the different perspectives of what you see of it, I'm giving you the underlying reason why David doesn't set the stage up, it's set for him. He just knew when he read it. So... The reading was a national crisis. God interjects and said, I've chosen my man. He has his first staging amongst his own. He proves himself as being the one because they, he's been chosen. Right? The second time it happens, there's the crisis is now his nation's at a point where they are battling another country and it's set up. The stage is set up for David. God always set it up for David. He just didn't quite know the reason why or how. But he does know one thing. He knows this. He's chosen. God's got something bigger and better for him. That anointing changed him. He now saw that he would be one day in a position or a predicament where he'd change it all. Now, Goliath was one of the best things that ever happened to David. So you find your Goliath, find your giant, you find your kingdom. Goliath represents the biggest thing ever. It's easy. <laughs> How am I going to read this year? It's easy. It's easy. Find where is the giant, right? Then you've found your purpose. You've found your kingdom. You see, Goliath was never going to kill David. Goliath was going to introduce David. I'm talking to all the Davids now. It's time for you to come out. David, 
Are you out there? I'm just letting you know it is your time. That's the beautiful thing about this. So he walks into the next stage, the big stage God set up for David. Can you just see it now? Right there. Everything was right there. He walks into it and he finds this is the stage of his life. It's a national stage. It's an international stage. It is a stage of history. It is a stage that changes the fortunes of his people's future. It is a stage that sets up a 600-year dynasty. It is a stage forever that would nail him into stone and carved into every, every part of every heart forever and a day in the future that David would become a great king. None of that was in his head or his mind when he walks there with cheeseburgers and says, oh, my father sent me. So there's a whole lot of little events, and I'm here. But once he gets there, he smells the stage. He's born for the stage. It's been set up for him, because he's been in one before, smaller, but this is the big one. And he knows that now he's going to actually be the one that's going to kill this giant. Because that giant holds everything about David's future, his whole, his his people's future is dependent on him killing Goliath. Goliath was good for David, but he wasn't the greatest thing for David. The greatest thing for David that was even bigger than Goliath was a national crisis. The national crisis is what got God involved and got David chosen, not Goliath. Goliath was further down on the set he was set up for the big big thing, stage. But the smaller stage about discerning that when there is a national crisis, you take advantage of it. The national crisis, now I'm coming back to the end and I'm finished. Remember in the beginning I said to you, how do you discern and read your year? I just gave it to you. If you can't read that, I'm misplaced because I've read it. And I don't even know all the answers. But I'll tell you what. I know for a fact that reading this year, I have never seen, I've never seen such going on in my country. I have never known that people would shoot out of cars and drive-bys shooting high-powered rifles. That's not so long ago. That only happens in Mexico. Colombia, and then we had ram raids. That's not so long ago. Remember the ram raids? Kids are just raiding shops and that. You're looking here at me like, yeah, well, we all know that. Now we have um, retail criminals, as they call it. They make nice names for it, but it's really anarchy. People just walk in supermarkets, just put it in the trolley, go to a shop, push the poor guy, the Indian, back in the thing there with some weapon and start stealing. It's all over the place. It's full out anarchy in our country. I have never seen my country do all of these things, and I can name a whole lot of other stuff, ever in my life. 
What I want to tell you is our country is in crisis. I don't know how to further fire you up. I, I can't do any more than I'm doing after today because you heard me before. So you've got to start seeing that there's a stage being set up for us. The stage is set. And the last point was, are you going to turn up? That's why I turned up today. I thought, I'll have a rest. And then I thought, that last point's turn up. <laughs> and in con- all good conscience, I couldn't cross it out. Because <laughs> you didn't know. I could have done a David in the back thing. Didn't you? They don't know. And they'll, be, they'll pray for me even. He apostles away today. He's not here. And I could have said, don't say why. Just, you know. And then I saw that turn up. I wrote it in big for the last point, in case there was a miracle. Turn up. <laughs> and Hannah says, well, I'm turning up. I'm turning up. I've never not turned up in my life. Here I am. I've turned up. <laughs> I want <laughs> Yeah. Because you know how I woke up? This <laughs> morning I was lying in bed. It was about four, four thirty-five. And usually I'm pretty good. I don't get. And I was like, oh gee, it was David Kohu around here the other day with his <laughs> coughing. His his family's had a bit of sickness. And I was like, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just didn't care. I just rebuked him, put some stuff in there, tablets, and I felt like this is a blooming rubbish bin this morning, and I couldn't even hear my own voice. And all the years of preaching, I thought, so, but then I turned up. And I'm glad I turned up. So, so if you're all in, you have to keep an eye because we're going to plant 72 churches this year. (laughs) Why? Why are you 72 churches? Okay. I love that. Can I say that again? You do. We're going to plant 72 churches this year. Wow. That's my biggest clap. Why don't you tell me you do that? I would have just started off with that and left the rest. <laughs> 72 churches. Do you know how many electorates are in this country? Do you know how many electorates are in this country? 72. Because they said to me, they said to me, 72 electorates, that just means areas. So it just saves us doing it. So there's these locations, and each location's electorate means they vote for their representative. The person who's going to represent us and make family policies, taxes, and all that sort of stuff, right? So I, they were telling me about having groups that are going to meet, like the Man Up and Legacy will, and um, they've got connect groups. But these 72 groups, they're going to be revolutionary activists, because our country is in trouble, in crisis. Okay. How am I going to start a fire on these guys? What am I doing wrong? Can I start a fire on you? <laughs> you know, can, a revolutionary? Even that word. Did you know Dane came out and used that word revolutionary? Yeah, she said they pulled off revolutionary coup, coup d'etat. Bureaucratic coup d'etat means people in parliament have been using the privilege while we've been working and taking over parliament to make an engineer, social engineer, and economically engineering, experimenting on us. Yeah, they've been doing it for decades since Robin Rogernomics. But God's really 
fire in me that somehow it's about saving our nation. But the 72 lectures, I said, why don't we make 72 churches? And where did I get that from was like, but those are, that's not political. I remember Jimi Hendrix. Who knows Jimi Hendrix? He's dead. <laughs> All the young ones, who's that? <laughs> Where's Kaiwi? You put a big mop of thing on Kaiwi. And <laughs> Jimi Hendrix was a great guitar player. He was awesome. He was totally on acid and mostly doped out all the time. Was, if you modern day, he'd be on P, but he used to play, and he, he's my musical idol, actually. But one day he got up to a concert, and the whole thing was filled, and he was in the, one of the big, um, in, in London, in the big, uh, I forgot what it was, royal thing, and he steps up to the mic, and he says, well, I'm just going to do a bit of jamming. <laughs> it's like, you know. But we're going to have church. It's like, whoa. You know? But I thought in a way he went and they all clapped electric church, he called it. We're going to have church. So here's the word church used probably in a, an environment that you would think it doesn't belong. But then I looked at it and I thought, that's exactly where it does belong. The church was, Jesus was in amongst crooks tax collectors, prostitutes, you know, mockers. He was always amongst where we think we shouldn't be. So I thought, why doesn't those 72 electorates be churches? Like, different though, you know, different like this, not like this. But they're gathering together to have, you know, election church. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, free groups and man-up groups and legacy and but we've all got a common goal. Our vote is our voice. Anyway. It's okay? I finish. I finish. Thank you. I actually got healed talking. Yeah, yeah I feel a lot better. Couldn't yell at you, but anyway, I was Father, thank you, Lord, so much. Would you like to stand to your feet? Father, thank you for the beautiful people that are here in this room. For those online that have heard this today, it is such a good thing to know that we're chosen. But how you are setting up the stage, but the stage is already set this year. We know clearly that we've had a national crisis. It's our duty to rise up together to now be significantly involved and bringing the power back to the people. I pray, Lord, that my churches would join me in taking notice that unless we do something and act to help others to understand this as well, we could lose our country forever. But Lord, we want to bring you back. We want Christ to come back, to be the center of every move, every legislation. That's going to be difficult to do, but I pray that like David was able to bring the two together, that you will touch the hearts of people to see that we need, we need him. So thank you, Lord, today. Bless everybody, and may we have a great afternoon. Let the storm come. We'll stay steady in the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, thank you. If, you um, if you're not a part of this church and you'd like to join, please come forward and we will pray for you. And the team are ready here to give your life to Christ or to be a part of this. We would love you to come. Or if you just want to chat to, to Elder Kane and, and Talar, they'll be here for you. Thank you very much.